0: Good morning. You have an amazing pastor. Uh, so many shepherds or pastors out there, but uh, he's one that empowers, you know. Uh, when God gives people power, some use their power to overpower, and Paul uses it to empower. How many can say Paul has empo- Pastor Paul has empowered me? Amen. I was actually present at his wedding in 19... 19- uh, 97, uh, I believe it's their anniversary tomorrow. So don't forget to send them a card or maybe pay their mortgage off or whatever, whatever God puts on your heart to do. Amen? That'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I am uh, accompanied by my bride this morning of one month or a little over a month. <laughs> Alicia. Uh, Alicia, if you could stand and give a regal Jackie O wave. Just a little... I did pastor for 16 years. Uh, Paul, Pastor Paul, did come and speak at our church maybe about five or six years ago. Had two heart attacks. Uh, Had a massive heart attack that almost killed me. Um, I'm here by the grace of God. I did, yeah, amen. I did burn out pastoring. You know you're burnt out when you sit down and you fantasize about how relaxing jail would be. It's time to go. When that happens, when you're visiting people in the mental hospital and you're asking them, how long do they let you stay here? What did you say to get in? You know what I mean? Uh, I represent a ministry called Unmuted. Uh, my PhD is not psychology, it's behavioral science. Close enough, Paul. But it's a, it's a mix of psychology, sociology, criminology. Um, and God has just kind of used that degree in the last uh, several years. Uh, We've traveled the country and speaking on trauma. Uh, In fact, starting today and next week, I'm going to be sharing with you a two-part series on turning your greatest tragedies into your greatest testimonies. I've written two books on these subjects. One is called Pen Your Pain and the Parables. Um, It is being used in the ACI, the Adult Correctional Institution of Rhode Island. All 1,500 inmates have a copy of this. They purchased it. It's become a part of their rehabilitation curriculum. And it's been adopted into 16 Teen Challenge Centers across the country. If you know anybody that's going through trauma, you can come see me afterwards. Uh, if you've escaped a toxic relationship, an unhealthy, spiritually incompatible rendezvous, you want to get this book called The Ox and the Ass. Uh, Deuteronomy says, don't yoke together the neck of an ox and an ass, for this is an unequal yoke. KJV does say ass, by the way. So if you're done dating asses, you want to come see me, we can get this book. Amen. That statement drives me out of churches sometimes. You can also get a T-shirt saying, I got my voice back. If the enemy has stolen your voice and Jesus has loosened your tongue, uh, what a great way of advertising what God has done. You can get the whole package. I believe it's like 50 or something. You can see my wife, Alicia, and she will harass you to buy one. All right. If we could stand, open our Bible to John 5, I want to talk to you about turning a tragedy into a testimony. This morning I want to speak of a hurtful past, and next week I want to speak of a hopeful future. John 5, starting in verse 2, let he who has ears, let him hear, let her hear. There was in Jerusalem a pool, and around that pool there were a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man who'd been an invalid for 38 years, Jesus saw him lying there, and he asked him, Do you want to be healed? We'll talk about that phrase next week. The sick man said, yes, but I have no one to put me into this this pool, a pool that was believed to be a place of healing superstitiously. I get up, and when I get up, I head to the pool, and someone beats me to it. Jesus said to him, rise up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was healed, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Father, bless this word. I pray for those that are stuck, those that are in some kind of paralysis, physical or emotional, or spiritual, or social. I pray tonight, this morning, God, you speak to them. Pick up your mat and walk. Bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Young man grows up in New York City. I'm a Providence native. My father's, or stepfather, called my father's from the Bronx, so we spent a lot of time in New York and Rhode Island growing up. And you learn a lot growing up in New York City. You learn a lot growing up in any city. And he learns a lot in his childhood. He learns how to survive in New York. He learns how to survive financially. And he's a successful man. He walks into a bank, and he requests for a loan for $10,000. And the banker says, Well, do you have any credit? He says, I don't have any credit. He says, I have collateral. He says, What do you have for collateral? He says, I have a $200,000 Bentley parked outside. I'll give you the car for the $10,000 loan. Banker looks at him strange. He says, All right. Gives him the $10,000 loan. Man hands over the keys to the car. Leaves with the $10,000. Two weeks later, he returns. He pays the principal, the $10,000 loan. He pays the $42 in interest. man hands him his keys back. The banker looks at him and says, that doesn't make any sense. He says, you gave us a car for $200,000. We gave you a loan for $10,000. That makes no sense. He says, it makes perfect sense. He says, how does it make sense? He says, where else was I going to park my Bentley in New York for two weeks for $42? Look at your neighbor and say, life has taught me a lot. The Lord has taught me a lot. In this story, we have a lame man. The Bible says he's paralyzed for 38 years. Now, maybe you and I, we don't know what it means to be physically paralyzed, but there are all sorts of paralysis. To be stuck in one place can't make any headway. Emotional paralysis is just as debilitating as physical paralysis. When Jesus speaks of wounding a child, he says, if anyone offend one of my little ones, the word offend in the Greek, it means to scandalize to victimize, to traumatize. He says, better that man have a millstone around his neck and be dropped to the Sea of Galilee than to hurt or traumatize one of these little ones. You ever wonder why this metaphor, a millstone around the neck, to be paralyzed? In those days, the sentence fit the nature of the crime. That if you were to hurt a child, that child would be locked up just like having a millstone around their neck. It would be a paralysis, what we call in psychology arrested development that you can be so wounded in one moment of time that it will lead to a paralysis for a lifetime. I mean, it knows what it means to be stuck, to be injured so badly you can't move forward. In this story, this man, he is stuck for 38 years. For 38 years, he's rejected 38 years of heartache and headaches, 38 years of being repudiated and humiliated. And Jesus comes, and the Bible says he heals him, and the man gets up, and he's walking, and Jesus gives him a very peculiar command. He doesn't tell him to leave his mat On the sidewalk, he tells him, pick up your mat and walk. I want you to think of that, the mat. The mat signifies 38 years of heartache. The mat is a constant... Reminder It is a continual trigger of all that he's been through in his life. At a moment when he would probably rather erase his past, Jesus is implicitly telling him to embrace his past. He doesn't tell him to leave the mat behind, he tells him to pick up his mat and walk. Could it be that God does not want you to erase? your past, but he wants you to embrace it. He doesn't want you to rid it. He wants to redeem it. In fact, your attempt to rid yourself of your past is, is insane. You can't rid it. You can't forget it. There are some things that you will never forget. Any poor physician that has told you forgiveness means forgetting hasn't read the Bible because when Joseph faced his brothers, he did not forget what they did. He remembered the pit. He remembered the prison. He remembered being sold into slavery. And he said to his brothers, what you meant for evil I didn't forget any of it. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What the thing the enemy used to destroy me, that same story, God has used it to develop me. I'm not going to leave this mat on the sidewalk. This mat is a reminder of where I've been in the pit from whence he dug me. May I submit to you that your story is one of the greatest assets you have. I pray this morning that you look back at your hurtful past and you don't see a trail of blood, but you see footprints in the sand. You don't just see pain and agony, but you see a great deliverance that in a moment of time you may have been injured, but in a moment of time his hand came and he saved you and you have a story to tell. I'm going to say I got a story to tell. I've overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's his story. And the word of my testimony, that's my story. And when my story comes into his story, there is the power to overcome because I am not a victim. I am a victor. When he stepped into the situation, he takes every tragedy and he turns it into a testimony. You go through something traumatic in life. One of my areas... Of specialty in my PhD of five years of studying behavioral science was understanding how trauma impacts the brain when you endure something traumatic whether it's being molested by an uncle or abandoned by a parent or a father mother dies at a young age these traumatic moments they are not stored in the brain in logical sequence They're not filed away in your prefrontal cortex where things make sense, where things are in proper context. By the end of the day, you'll remember everything that happened today. Chances are it's stored away in the prefrontal cortex. Everything makes sense. It's in context. It's in sequence. When you go through something traumatic, the trauma is so painful, it's not stored in the prefrontal cortex, but it's stored in the subcortex, the inferior part of your brain, where you remember things in sound bites. You remember in snippets, glitches or glimpses. These little moments, they become triggers. You might remember the smell of nicotine on your attacker's jacket or the sight of the knife blade right before you were violated, but these little sensations, these little uh, sights and sounds, they're stored in the subcortex. They're out of context. They're out of story format. They're out of narrative form, and in that place, they become larger than life. And they turn into triggers. And now you go through something where you smell nicotine again or you see a, a knife again and someone's going to cut a piece of cake or someone maybe just smoking a cigarette in a lobby and all of a sudden there's a trigger, it taps into the sore, uh, subcortex and you're reliving all the horror you once experienced. Just because the crisis has ended in reality doesn't mean it's ended in mentality. The Bible says in the Gospels, after the storm had ceased, in other words, the crisis was over, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, why are you still afraid? Because even after the storm ends, even after you leave that abusive relationship, even after you come out of that very traumatizing childhood, the crisis may have ended in your home, but it hasn't ended in your head. You get stuck. You try to forget the past. You try to put it behind you. But you can't put it behind you. You can't forget it. The more you try to forget it, the more you relive it. Bible never tells you to forget your past. Any scripture verse that speaks of forgetting your past, it's a very specific context. Paul mentions forgetting the past. He's mentioned forgetting his accolades, forgetting the things that make him cocky. When you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, when you read the prophets, they continually speak of Israel's history because your history is important. Your story is significant. It was your history that grooms you for your destiny. Jesus is not telling you to leave the map behind. He's telling you to pick it up. It's coming with you. Your story is for his glory. All the places you've been, all the people you've met, all the things you've done, the stuff you're ashamed of, all of it is to be used for his glory. In fact, your attempt to escape the past, how many have seen scary movies, just be honest? Pastor's not here. You can be honest. Right? You watch a good scary movie on October 31st. Just be honest, please. Jeff Hitchcock. Doesn't matter. You watch scary movies. There's always that scene in the movie, right? She's running out of the house, usually half-dressed, Running out of the house. The monster's behind her. She's running as fast as she possibly can. He's moving so slow I can get more movement out of a cement mixer. He's just moving slow. She's moving fast. She thinks she's got some mileage over the monster. She thinks she's making some headway. The monster's behind her. All of a sudden, the thing she's trying to outrun, that monster behind her pops up before her. That's you running from your past. You think it's behind you. It keeps popping up before you. Don't make me break down statistics to prove this to you. Do you know that 85% of people that graduate a recovery program, according to the Pure Research Center, they graduate a substance abuse recovery program. They go through all the work, all the agony, all the sacrifice. They graduate a program. 85% will relapse within five years because we do what we always did. In behavioral science, we learn about modus operandi, that every homo sapien has a certain modus operandi. You're a creature of habit. The most reliable forecast for what you will do is what you did. William Shakespeare said it right. "Pass is prologue. What you did, you will do again. 73% of inmates that are released today will reoffend usually the same exact crime and be locked up again within seven years. A person who cheats on their spouse is 3, 3.5 times more likely to cheat on their spouse again because you do what you always did. Apart from a miracle, apart from the transformative power of God, you and I are slaves to ourselves. We keep doing what we always did, we're stuck, we're in a paralysis. We relive the past. In our attempt to redo it, uh, to rid ourselves of it, we redo it. I had had a a spiritual father early on in the faith. His name was Bob Stradoff. He was a Teen Challenge director. Diana uh, remembers him. He was a very unique guy. And uh, he he would call people uh, Pete. I said, that guy's Pete, that guy's Pete, that guy's Pete. I said, how many Pete's do you know? He goes, well, just put a re in front of their name. That's repeat. He's been through Teen Challenge 20 times. I call him Repeat. We do what we always did. We try to rid ourselves of the past, and our attempt to rid it, we keep reliving it. The answer isn't to rid it. The answer is to let him redeem it. I pray from this day forward, your mat, your story would not be something you hide because it's causing shame. The more shame, the more you go back to substance to medicate that shame, the more you keep reliving and rehashing and rehearsing all the places you've been. I pray from this day forward, that mat would be something you pick it up and you follow him. May your story be lost in his story with his victory. I want to talk to you about why your story is so important. We're going to glean right from this passage. This morning we're talking about overcoming a hurtful past. Next week we're going to talk about anticipating a hopeful future. Because chances are, if you've been through some trauma, your anticipator is broke. What you're anticipating is the other shoe to drop. What you're anticipating is the bottom to fall out. What you're anticipating is another betrayal because your experiences define your expectations. And if you look back and all you interpret is bad experiences, then you're going to have some bad expectations. So this morning, we're going to get free from our past so that we can have a free future. Your story makes you smarter. How many know that? Do you know as bad as you were, as many mistakes as you made, Some of those failures, as much as you don't want to talk about them, better a failure that makes you humble than a victory that makes you prideful. There's a man in this story, and he's had 38 years of failures. He's had 38 years of haphazard attempts. 38 years of trying to get up and get into the pool, and every time he gets up, somebody beats him to it, and he can't make any headway, and he may not have succeeded, but if there's one lesson he can learn, and you can learn, is I can't do it without him. And if that's the only curriculum, the only education that your past has brought you, then it was worth the journey. If there's one thing I learned, it's I can't do it without them. You learn some things along the way, Amen. Oswald Chambers said the greatest lessons are not learned in a classroom a workshop. They're not learned in these pews. The greatest lessons are learned in a fiery furnace. Why? Because you can learn something by seeing the light. That's information. But you can also learn something by feeling the heat. And that is an experience that results in transformation. Thank God for the furnaces. Thank God for those hot steaming places. Those places where I had a meltdown. Those places where I had a nervous breakdown. I might have went through a lot, but I am so grateful I got through it. You learn. You know what this man learned? He learned 38 years of what doesn't work. I want you to think back on all the things that don't work. Thomas Edison, someone asked him, he said, Mr. Edison, don't you feel bad that you wasted all this energy and all this time, all these years on 999 designs that don't work? It took him a thousand designs, a thousand templates to create the light bulb. He said, no. He said, I spent a lot of money, a lot of years, a lot of education, a lot of time on figuring out what doesn't work. That is an education in itself. How many can say, I learn what doesn't work? I learned addiction don't work. I learned turning to a man to be my Messiah does not work. I learned that turning to a woman to be my Savior, it doesn't work. I learned all the ways that don't work. His story made you smarter. His story brought lessons that no classroom could ever teach you. Be grateful for that mat. Pick up your mat and walk. Look at your neighbor and say, pick up your mat. Stop hiding it. Stop burying it. Stop leaving it behind. Pick it up and walk. Number two, your story makes you not only smarter, but it makes you sweeter. It makes you sweeter. Now, some of us, the older we get, the colder we get. We don't process things correctly. It's all how you process it. We feel cheated. We feel abandoned. We feel betrayed. We feel forsaken. We feel let go. When you look back and you realize God's been with me, he's been with me every situation, he's been with me, you, all compassion comes out of your afflictions. You'd have no compassion if you had no affliction. You're giving the comfort to others that you yourself have received. When this man who is now healed walks by another lame man, I guarantee you he's moved with compassion because it's your afflictions that are producing your compassion. This temporary struggle is producing for us a glory. Your afflictions are creating in you compassion. You want me to give you the neuroscience on this? You have a chemical in your brain. It's a neurotransmitter. A neurotransmitter is what sends a signal from your brain to your nerve ends. It's what creates feeling. It's what creates sensation. You have all sorts of neurotransmitters in your brain. I wish I had an hour to talk to you about them. Dopamine, serotonin, uh, epinephrine, adrenaline. This particular neurotransmitter's name is glutamate. Glutamate's job is to make you feel your pain. Without glutamate, you don't feel any pain. Glutamate, its one job is to bring pain to your nerve ends. Now what's interesting is this. It doesn't only bring pain to your nerve ends. Glutamate is also the very neurotransmitter, the same chemical that enables you to feel other people's pain. Sila. The same chemical that enables you to feel your pain is the same chemical that enables you to feel your neighbor's pain. Therefore, the more I exercise my own agony, I exercise my empathy. The more agony, the more empathy. I have compassion. The word compassion means to suffer with someone. How can I suffer with you, to be with you, if I've never been there? Thank God for your agony, because without any agony you have no empathy. You ever met some insulated people, some people that live some out-of-touch shield lives, walk by you with their noses up? But now they know what you are going through. I, listen, I used to judge parents all the time when they had bad kids. I was an excellent father until I had kids. <laughs> I was. I was awesome. Diane, I had books, best-selling books. I had series, a series. Get my CD series on how to better, be a better father, and then they were born. <laughs> Parenthood is the scariest hood that I have ever driven through. My father's from Tremont Avenue in the Bronx. I've been through Detroit. I've seen hoods from here to L.A. There's no scarier hood than parenthood. You will be stripped down, beaten, left for dead by your own blood, your own offspring, naked on a sidewalk, confused, disoriented. You forgot who you are in parenthood. Anybody in parenthood right now driving through parenthood? (sighs) Scary and paranoid. Now all of a sudden, I have some empathy. I don't say anything. Life will shut your mouth. Life will shut your big mouth. Now all of a sudden, I see parents. Their kids are going crazy. Just bat crazy. Just absolute, not not crazy, crazy with a Q. That's when you know they're real crazy. Crazy kids. I used to have all kinds of opinions until I had kids. Now I don't have opinions. Now I just have empathy. My kids are older now, amen? Well, We, we still have a 12-year-old, but I got some kids that are out now. The, the bad ones are out. They're gone. They're gone. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Love you. Bye. Did you buy a house with a room for us? Nope. Love you. Nope. No, nope. We just got three bedrooms. That's it. You're done. Your story made you smarter it made you sweeter lastly your story is what makes you shine I want you to think about this you got a a matted seat he's carrying a matted seat that represents who he was that's the before picture he's got mobile feet that represents who he is that's the after picture before Jesus after Jesus. If you, 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 know, you get really enticed to buy those products when you see the before and the after pictures, right? Right? He took this or she took this and they went from being built like Jello to built like J-Lo. They took this product. Right? Listen, I'm, I'm over 40. I, you, I can joke with you. I, I don't look like I looked at 20. <laughs> before and after, that contrast. The mat and the feet walking by people along the pool, seeing him. What a testimony. Your story is a testimony. It's not not just for you. It's not just for your overcoming. It's for others to see. Look what the Lord has done. Now, Jesus is a master marketer. If you own a product, you invent something, If you you create some kind of magical product, you, you don't go on an infomercial and you don't try to sell that product. You put the product in the hands of others and you have their testimonies to what your product did for them. Your words wouldn't be valid. Jesus said, I don't give you my testimony. If, I gave, if you banked on my testimony, it wouldn't be valid. Instead, I have witnesses, those that have tried the product. The best salesman in the world is a satisfied customer, a customer who has been changed, transformed by the product. You. Your story is important because other people need to see. Look what the Lord has done. You may be wondering, how does all this affect trauma? If I had time, I'd tell you about study after study that those that can make meaning out of their messes, those that can put in narrative form, in the clinical world we call it narrative therapy, can put in narrative form what happened to them. Not just your story, but within the context of his story that the trauma that's located in the subcortex relocates to the prefrontal cortex, where that one moment of time isn't larger than life. It's not the period at the end of the sentence. It's just a comma. It's not the end of the book. It's just the middle of the book. It's not just the end of the road. It's just a bend in the road. It is not the final word. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. The pen is in his hands. He's just begun to do what he's going to do in your life. It is not the end of your story. I pray this morning, if you're here and you're stuck somewhere, I pray that you get unstuck. I pray that a good part of that paralysis is you trying to run from something that he's not telling you to run from. He's telling you to pick it up, own it, face it, look at it. The more you avoid it, the more you empower it. It's like a bully in school. If you refuse to square off with it, it'll continue to control you. But when you say, I'm gonna own it, this is my story. When you face it and you realize that as the brother gave the word this morning, that there is safety in the presence of God. That you are safe in His presence. That you were safe then and you're safe now. That you may have went through hell, but his hand got you through it I want you to shift focus for a moment stop thinking about all you went through start thinking about the fact that I got through it I should be in a rubber room right now with a helmet on banging my head up against the wall waiting for the nurse to clean the drool off my chin I'm here I got through it how many can say I got through it any survivors in the house any overcomers in the house? Have you gotten through some things this morning? You got through it. Stand up with me. Hallelujah, worship team. Can you come forward or instrumentalist, whatever, whatever is comfortable for you? Hallelujah. I think you need a second look at your past. It's not so much what you went through. It's more about what's going through you. Not really the experience or the event. It's more how you interpret the experience in the event. How do you see it? It's really important. And how do you say it? Just as important. How do you see it? How do you say it? Your story. It's yours. Can't change it change your outlook on it. How do you see it? How do you say it? If all you see and all you say is all you've been through, but you can't see and say what God has done. Listen, next week I want to talk about a hopeful future, but we got to get a better look at your past, because you will not anticipate a hopeful future if all you keep seeing is a hurtful past. You will not. I'm telling you, you won't. Your expectations are conditioned by your experiences of yesterday. You're expecting what you always got. But you can look back and say, I'm blessed. I, I am so blessed. He, he had me the whole time. I don't see a trail of blood. I see footprints in the sand. I'll tell you a true story. I'll end with this. Back in the early 1900s, This illiterate janitor, day and age in London where you get fired for being illiterate. Spent his whole childhood with learning disabilities, all the pain that comes with that. He lands a job at a church, cleric doesn't know he's illiterate, hires him to be the janitor. One day finds out he can't read. Fires him. Just one more rejection to add to the list. Well, he has a little bit of money in the bank, takes the meager savings, opens up his bicycle shop. That's his passion, is riding bikes. It does fairly well. Opens a second bike shop. Till he has a chain of bike shops in the 1950s all through London, England. He's sitting with his accountant one day. His accountant says, you did pretty good for an illiterate guy. He's "Imagine what you'd be in your life if you weren't illiterate. He said, yeah, the janitor at St. Peter's Church. For some of us, we got fired unjustly. All we see is rejection. That man, he saw redirection. For some of us, all we see is abuse. I could talk to you how about how your amygdala keeps playing that thing over and over again and you're living in that abuse, even though it ended 30 years ago, it never ended up here. The storm ceased, but the disciples were still afraid. And Jesus is saying to the word that was given earlier, why are you still afraid? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. Abraham Maslow taught us that our most basic inherent need is for safety. We can't function without safety. Self-actualization, living out your promise and your potential is at the top of the hierarchy. Baseline, one of the baseline needs is safety. Some of us are not living out our dreams because we just never feel safe. And God is saying, why are you afraid? I've been with you every step of the way. He could have killed you. She could have killed you. It could be over. You could be dancing on a pole in a club somewhere. You could be sticking a needle in your arm on a corner, smoking a pipe behind a dumpster, but you're here in this place, worshiping me, dressed in your right mind. Give him praise if you survived something this morning. It's all how you see it, and it's all how you say it. I'm not telling you to change the facts. I'm just telling you that what happened is not the period. It's just the karma. I'm telling you that what happened is just a little bleep in the screen. It is not as big as your mind has made it. God has more for your life than you could ever imagine. Thank God it's more than we can ask or imagine because some of us are asking for far too little because we've experienced too much heartache and we're imagining far too little. Your asker and your imaginer are broke. Thank God he gives me more than what I can ask or imagine. Don't give me over to what I ask for. Imagine if he gave you what you asked for. Imagine that guy you asked for in high school. Look at him now. He spared you from some things. So how you see it? So how you say it. I want you to just say this with me. Say, Lord, I thank you that you delivered me. I thank you that for not one moment was I forsaken. Through the betrayals, through the abuse, bad relationships, bad experiences in church, you were with me. I am not a victim. I'm an overcomer. I'm here. I'm safe. Why am I afraid? Why art thou so downcast? Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. It's okay to talk to yourself. The Bible says there was a woman, she was trying to get a hold of Jesus, and she she said to herself, if I could touch the hem of his garment, Probably the most important conversation you could have, second to your conversation with God, is the conversation with yourself. What are you saying to yourself? And she said to herself, if I could just touch his hem, I want you to start talking different to yourself. I will overcome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what David did when he was facing a giant that was before him? He looked behind him. He gleaned strength from his story. He, listen, it's traumatizing to get into a fight with a bear, a lion. That's We read over that like it's cartoonish. There had to be a lot of trauma associated with that kind of collision. He looks back at that trauma, and he says, If I could win there, I can win anywhere. I want you to look back at your past right now. And I want you to say, if I can win there, I can win anywhere. If I can beat those giants back there, I can beat this giant standing right here. Amen. Don't forget your story. Your story is the greatest asset you have. But it's all how you see it. It's all how you say it. Pick up your map And follow God bless.
1: All I did was praise. Let's worship him. All I did was worship.
2: Let's, let's let this soak in today, guys. Was bow down. All I did
1: was stay still. Sing that again. All I do was praise. All I do was worship. All I did was bow down. So much better.
2: place today. Just keep reaching out to him as we just continue singing, but just keep reaching out to him. God is touching. God is touching hearts here. That's it. Just reach out to the Lord. oh God oh God God you've put together all of the pieces of our lives God Lord you've done something beautiful God with our lives Jesus may we never forget that oh God and you are still doing an awesome thing God you've only just begun you've only just begun Jesus oh God we praise you this day God we thank you Jesus Jesus May we go forth in joy today, knowing, God, that it's just the beginning, that you have good things in store for us, God. You have good plans, O God. Lord, may we go forth in this world and speak, knowing that there is power in our testimony, not being ashamed of our past, God, but glorifying you, God. Lord, knowing that you have rescued us. Lord, we just thank you, God. In Jesus' name, you can still spend time with the Lord. You can go in peace. Be blessed this week. God is for you.
0: Good morning. You have an amazing pastor. Uh, so many shepherds or pastors out there, but uh, he's one that empowers, you know? Uh, when God gives people power, some use their power to overpower and Paul uses it to empower. How many can say Paul has empo- pastor Paul has empowered me? Amen I was actually present at his wedding in 1997 I believe it's their anniversary tomorrow so don't forget to send them a card or maybe pay their mortgage off or whatever whatever God puts on your heart to do amen that'd be nice wouldn't it I am uh, accompanied by my bride this morning of one month or a little over a month <laughs> Alicia uh, Alicia if you could stand and give a regal Jackie Oh, wave, just a little. (laughs) I did pastor for 16 years. Uh, Paul, Pastor Paul, did come and speak at our church maybe about five or six years ago. Had two heart attacks. Uh, Had a massive heart attack that almost killed me. Um, I'm here by the grace of God. I did, yeah, amen. I did burn out pastoring. You know you're burnt out when you sit down and you fantasize about how relaxing jail would be. It's time to go when that happens. When you're visiting people in the mental hospital and you're asking them, how long do they let you stay here? What did you say to get in? You know what I mean? Uh, I represent a ministry called Unmuted. Uh, My PhD is not psychology. It's behavioral science. Close enough, Paul. But it's a, it's a mix of psychology, sociology, criminology. Um, and God has just kind of used that degree in the last uh, several years. Uh, we've traveled the country and speaking on trauma. Uh, in fact, starting today and next week, I'm going to be sharing with you a two-part series on turning your greatest tragedies into your greatest testimonies. I've written two books on these subjects. One is called Pen Your Pain and the Parables. Um, It is being used in the ACI, the Adult Correctional Institution of Rhode Island. All 1,500 inmates have a copy of this. They purchased it. It's become a part of their rehabilitation curriculum, and it's been adopted into 16 Teen Challenge Centers across the country. If you know anybody that's going through trauma, you can come see me afterwards. Uh, If you've escaped a toxic relationship, an unhealthy, spiritually incompatible rendezvous, you want to get this book called The Ox in the Ass. Uh, Deuteronomy says, Don't yoke together the neck of an ox and an ass, for this is an unequal yoke. KJV does say ass, by the way. So if you're done dating asses, you want to come see me, we can get this book. Amen. That statement drives me out of churches sometimes. You can also get a T-shirt saying, I got my voice back. If the enemy has stolen your voice and Jesus has loosened your tongue, uh, what a great way of advertising what God has done. You can get the whole package I believe it's like 50 or something. You can see my wife Alicia, and she will harass you to buy one. All right. If we could stand, open our Bible to John 5. I want to talk to you about turning a tragedy into a testimony. This morning, I want to speak of a hurtful past, and next week, I want to speak of a hopeful future. John 5 starting in verse 2. Let he who has ears, let him hear. Let her hear. There was in Jerusalem a pool. And around that pool there were a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man who'd been an invalid for 38 years Jesus saw him lying there, and he asked him, Do you want to be healed? We'll talk about that phrase next week. The sick man said, Yes, but I have no one to put me into this this pool, a pool that was believed to be a place of healing superstitiously. I get up, and when I get up, I head to the pool, and someone beats me to it. Jesus said to him, Rise up. Pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was healed, he picked up his mat and he walked. Father, bless this word. I pray for those that are stuck, those that are in some kind of paralysis, physical or emotional, or spiritual, or social. I pray tonight, this morning, God, you speak to them. Pick up your mat and walk bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Young man grows up in New York City. I'm a Providence native. My father's, stepfather called my father's from the Bronx, so spent a lot of time in New York and Rhode Island growing up. And you learn a lot growing up in New York City. You learn a lot growing up in any city. And he learns a lot in his childhood. He learns how to survive in New York. He learns how to survive financially. And he's a successful man. He walks into a bank and he requests for a loan for $10,000. And the banker says, well, do you have any credit? He says, I don't have any credit. He says, I have collateral. He says, what do you have for collateral? He says, I have a $200,000 Bentley parked outside. I'll give you the car for the $10,000 loan. banker looks at him strange. says, all right. Gives him the $10,000 loan. Man hands over the keys to the car. Leaves with the $10,000. Two weeks later, he returns. He pays the principal, the $10,000 loan. He pays the $42 in interest. Man hands him his keys back. The banker looks at him and says, that doesn't make any sense. He says, you gave us a car for $200,000. We gave you a loan for $10,000. That makes no sense. He says, it makes perfect sense. He says, how does it make sense? He says, where else was I going to park my Bentley in New York for two weeks for $42? (laughs) Look at your neighbor and say, life has taught me a lot. The Lord has taught me a lot. In this story, we have a lame man the Bible says he's paralyzed for 38 years. Now maybe you and I we don't know what it means to be physically paralyzed, but there are all sorts of paralysis. To be stuck in one place, can't make any headway. Emotional paralysis is just as debilitating as physical paralysis. When Jesus speaks of wounding a child, he says, if anyone offend one of my little ones, the word offend in the Greek, it means to scandalize, to victimize, to traumatize. He says, better that man have a millstone around his neck and be dropped to the Sea of Galilee than to hurt or traumatize one of these little ones. You ever wonder why This metaphor, a millstone around the neck to be paralyzed. In those days, the sentence fit the nature of the crime. That if you were to hurt a child, that child would be locked up just like having a millstone around their neck. It would be a paralysis, what we call in psychology, arrested development, that you can be so wounded in one moment of time that it will lead to a paralysis for a lifetime. I mean, it knows what it means to be stuck, to be injured so badly you can't move forward. In this story, this man, he is stuck for 38 years. For 38 years, he's rejected 38 years of heartache and headaches, 38 years of being repudiated and humiliated. And Jesus comes, and the Bible says he heals him, and the man gets up, and he's walking, and Jesus gives him a very peculiar command. He doesn't tell him to leave his mat On the sidewalk, he tells him, pick up your mat and walk. I want you to think of that, the mat. The mat signifies 38 years of heartache. The mat is a constant... Reminder It is a continual trigger of all that he's been through in his life. At a moment when he would probably rather erase his past, Jesus is implicitly telling him to embrace his past. He doesn't tell him to leave the mat behind, he tells him to pick up his mat and walk. Could it be that God does not want you to erase? your past, but he wants you to embrace it. He doesn't want you to rid it. He wants to redeem it. In fact, your attempt to rid yourself of your past is is insane, you can't rid it, you can't forget it. There are some things that you will never forget. Any poor physician that has told you forgiveness means forgetting hasn't read the Bible because when Joseph faced his brothers, he did not forget what they did. He remembered the pit, he remembered the prison, he remembered being sold into slavery, and he said to his brothers, what you meant for for evil. I didn't forget any of it. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. What the thing the enemy used to destroy me, that same story, God has used it to develop me. I'm not going to leave this mat on the sidewalk. This mat is a reminder of where I've been in the pit from whence he dug me. May I submit to you that your story is one of the greatest assets you have I pray this morning that you look back at your hurtful past and you don't see a trail of blood, but you see footprints in the sand. You don't just see pain and agony, but you see a great deliverance that in a moment of time you may have been injured, but in a moment of time his hand came and he saved you and you have a story to tell. I'm going to say I got a story to tell. I've overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's his story. And the word of my testimony, that's my story. And when my story comes into his story, there is the power to overcome because I am not a victim. I am a victor. When he stepped into the situation, he takes every tragedy and he turns it into a testimony. You go through something traumatic in life. One of my areas... Of specialty in my PhD of five years of studying behavioral science was understanding how trauma impacts the brain. When you endure something traumatic whether it's being molested by an uncle or abandoned by a parent or a father or mother dies at a young age, these traumatic moments they are not stored in the brain in logical sequence. They're not filed away in your prefrontal cortex where things make sense, where things are in proper context. By the end of the day, you'll remember everything that happened today. Chances are it's stored away in the prefrontal cortex. Everything makes sense. It's in context. It's in sequence. When you go through something traumatic, the trauma is so painful, it's not stored in the prefrontal cortex, but it's stored in the subcortex, the inferior part of your brain, where you remember things in sound bites. You remember in snippets, glitches or glimpses. These little moments, they become triggers. You might remember the smell of nicotine on your attacker's jacket or the sight of the knife blade right before you were violated, but these little sensations, these little uh, sights and sounds, they're stored in the subcortex. They're out of context. They're out of story format. They're out of narrative form, and in that place, they become larger than life. And they turn into triggers. And now you go through something where you smell nicotine again, or you see a, a knife again, and someone's going to cut a piece of cake, or someone maybe just smoking a cigarette in a lobby, and all of a sudden there's a trigger. It taps into the sor- uh, subcortex, and you're reliving all the horror you once experienced. Just because the crisis has ended in reality doesn't mean it's ended in mentality. The Bible says in the Gospels, after the storm had ceased, in other words, the crisis was over, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, why are you still afraid? Because even after the storm ends, even after you leave that abusive relationship, even after you come out of that very traumatizing childhood, the crisis may have ended in your home, but it hasn't ended in your head. You get stuck. You try to forget the past. You try to put it behind you. But you can't put it behind you. You can't forget it. The more you try to forget it, the more you relive it. The Bible never tells you to forget your past. Any scripture verse that speaks of forgetting your past, it's a very specific context. Paul mentions forgetting the past. He's mentioned forgetting his accolades, forgetting the things that make him cocky. When you read Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, when you read the prophets, they continually speak of Israel's history because your history is important. Your story is significant. It was your history that grooms you for your destiny. Jesus is not telling you to leave the map behind. He's telling you to pick it up. It's coming with you. Your story is for His glory. All the places you've been, all the people you've met, all the things you've done, the stuff you're ashamed of, all of it is to be used for His glory. In fact, your attempt to escape the past, how many have seen scary movies, just be honest? Pastor's not here. You can be honest. Right? You watch a good scary movie on October 31st. Just be honest, please. Jeff Hitchcock. Doesn't matter. You watch scary movies. There's always that scene in the movie, right? She's running out of the house, usually half-dressed, running out of the house. The monster's behind her. She's running as fast as she possibly can. He's moving so slow I can get more movement out of a cement mixer. He's just moving slow. She's moving fast. She thinks she's got some mileage over the monster. She thinks she's making some headway. The monster's behind her. All of a sudden, the thing she's trying to outrun, that monster behind her pops up before her. As you running from your past. You think it's behind you. It keeps popping up before you. Don't make me break down statistics to prove this to you. Do you know that 85% of people that graduate a recovery program, according to the Pure Research Center, they graduate a substance abuse recovery program. They go through all the work, all the agony, all the sacrifice. They graduate a program. 85% will relapse within five years because we do what we always did. In behavioral science, we learn about modus operandi, that every homo sapien has a certain modus operandi. You're a creature of habit. The most reliable forecast for what you will do is what you did. William Shakespeare said it right. "Pass is prologue. What you did, you will do again. 73% of inmates that are released today will reoffend usually the same exact crime and be locked up again within seven years. A person who cheats on their spouse is 3, 3.5 times more likely to cheat on their spouse again because you do what you always did. Apart from a miracle, apart from the transformative power of God, you and I are slaves to ourselves. We keep doing what we always did. We're stuck. We're in a paralysis. We relive the past. In our attempt to redo it, uh, to rid ourselves of it, we redo it. I had, a, I had a, a spiritual father early on in the faith. His name was Bob Stradoff. He was a Teen Challenge director. Diana uh, remembers him. He was a very unique guy. And uh, he, he would call people uh, Pete. I said, that guy's Pete, that guy's Pete, that guy's Pete. I said, how many Pete's do you know? He goes, well, just put a re in front of their name. That's repeat. He's been through Teen Challenge 20 times. I call him repeat. We do what we always did. We try to rid ourselves of the past, and our attempt to rid it, we keep reliving it. The answer isn't to rid it. The answer is to let him redeem it. I pray from this day forward, your mat, your story would not be something you hide because it's causing shame. The more shame, the more you go back to substance to medicate that shame, the more you keep reliving and rehashing and rehearsing all the places you've been. I pray from this day forward, that mat would be something you pick it up and you follow him. May your story be lost in his story with his victory. I want to talk to you about why your story is so important. We're going to glean right from this passage. This morning we're talking about overcoming a hurtful past. Next week we're going to talk about anticipating a hopeful future. Because chances are, if you've been through some trauma, your anticipator is broke. What you're anticipating is the other shoe to drop. What you're anticipating is the bottom to fall out. What you're anticipating is another betrayal. Because your experiences define your expectations. And if you look back and all you interpret is bad experiences, then you're going to have some bad expectations. So this morning, we're going to get free from our past so that we can have a free future. Your story makes you smarter. How many know that? you know as bad as you were, as many mistakes as you made, Some of those failures, as much as you don't want to talk about them, better a failure that makes you humble than a victory that makes you prideful. There's a man in this story, and he's had 38 years of failures. He's had 38 years of haphazard attempts, 38 years of trying to get up and get into the pool, and every time he gets up, somebody beats him to it, and he can't make any headway, and he may not have succeeded, but if there's one lesson he can learn, and you can learn, is I can't do it without him. And if that's the only curriculum, the only education that your past has brought you, then it was worth the journey. If there's one thing I learned, it's I can't do it without them. You learn some things along the way, amen? Oswald Chambers said the greatest lessons are not learned in a classroom, a workshop. They're not learned in these pews. The greatest lessons are learned in a fiery furnace. Why? Because you can learn something by seeing the light. That's information. But you can also learn something by feeling the heat. And that is an experience that results in transformation. Thank God for the furnaces. Thank God for those hot, steaming places. Those places where I had a meltdown. Those places where I had a nervous breakdown. I might have went through a lot, but I am so grateful I got through it. You learn. You know what this man learned? He learned 38 years of what doesn't work. I want you to think back on all the things that don't work. Thomas Edison, someone asked him, he said, Mr. Edison, don't you feel bad that you wasted all this energy and all this time, all these years on 999 designs that don't work? It took him a 1,000 designs, a 1,000 templates to create the light bulb. He said, no. He said, I spent a lot of money, a lot of years, a lot of education, a lot of time on figuring out what doesn't work. That is an education in itself. How many can say, I learn what doesn't work? I learned addiction don't work. I learned turning to a man to be my Messiah does not work. I learned that turning to a woman to be my Savior, it doesn't work. I learned all the ways that don't work. His story made you smarter. His story brought lessons that no classroom could ever teach you. Be grateful for that mat. Pick up your mat and walk. Look at me and say, pick up your mat. Stop hiding it. Stop burying it. Stop leaving it behind. Pick it up and walk. Number two, your story makes you not only smarter, but it makes you sweeter. It makes you sweeter. Now, some of us, the older we get, the colder we get. We don't process things correctly. It's all how you process it. We feel cheated. We feel abandoned. We feel betrayed. We feel forsaken. We feel let go. When you look back and you realize God's been with me, he's been with me every situation, he's been with me, all compassion comes out of your afflictions. You'd have no compassion if you had no affliction. You're giving the comfort to others that you yourself have received. When this man who is now healed walks by another lame man, I guarantee you he's moved with compassion, because it's your afflictions that are producing your compassion. This temporary struggle is producing for us a glory. Your afflictions are creating in you compassion. You want me to give you the neuroscience on this? You have a chemical in your brain. It's a neurotransmitter. A neurotransmitter is what sends a signal from your brain to your nerve ends. It's what creates feeling. It's what creates sensation. You have all sorts of neurotransmitters in your brain. I wish I had an hour to talk to you about them. Dopamine, serotonin, uh, epinephrine, adrenaline. This particular neurotransmitter's name is glutamate. Glutamate's job is to make you feel your pain. Without glutamate, you don't feel any pain. Glutamate, its one job is to bring pain to your nerve ends. Now what's interesting is this. It doesn't only bring pain to your nerve ends. Glutamate is also the very neurotransmitter, the same chemical that enables you to feel other people's pain. Sila. The same chemical that enables you to feel your pain is the same chemical that enables you to feel your neighbor's pain. Therefore, the more I exercise my own agony, I exercise my empathy. The more agony, the more empathy. I have compassion. The word compassion means to suffer with someone. How can I suffer with you, to be with you, if I've never been there? Thank God for your agony, because without any agony you have no empathy. You ever met some insulated people, some people that live some out of touch shield lives? Walk by you with their noses up, but now they know what you're going through. I listen. I used to judge parents all the time when they had bad kids. I was an excellent father until I had kids. <laughs> I was. I was awesome. Diane, I had books, best-selling books. I had series. A CD, get my CD series on how to better be a better father, and then they were born. <laughs> Parenthood is the scariest hood that I have ever driven through. My father's from Tremont Avenue in the Bronx. I've been through Detroit. I've seen hoods from here to L.A. There's no scarier hood than parenthood. You will be stripped down, beaten, left for dead by your own blood, your own offspring, naked on the sidewalk, confused, disoriented. You forgot who you are in parenthood. Anybody in parenthood right now driving through parenthood? (sighs) Scary and paranoid. Now all of a sudden I have some empathy. I don't say anything. Life will shut your mouth. Life will shut your big mouth. Now all of a sudden I see parents, their kids are going crazy, just bat crazy, just absolute not not crazy, crazy with a Q. That's when you know they're real crazy. Crazy kids. I used to have all kinds of opinions until I had kids now I don't have opinions, now I just have empathy my kids are older now, amen Well, we, we still have a 12 year old, but I got some kids that are out now, the, the bad ones are out they're gone, they're going. hallelujah, praise the Lord love you, bye, did you buy a house with a room for us? nope, love you, nope, No, nope. we just got three bedrooms, that's it, you're done Your story made you smarter. It made you sweeter. Lastly, your story is what makes you shine. I want you to think about this. You've got a, a, a matted seat. He's carrying a matted seat. That represents who he was. That's the before picture. He's got mobile feet. That represents who he is. That's the after picture. Before Jesus... After Jesus. If you, 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 know, you get really enticed to buy those products when you see the before and the after pictures, right? Right? He took this or she took this and they went from being built like Jello to built like J-Lo. They took this product. Right? say, I'm, I'm over 40. I, you, I can joke with you. I, I don't look like I looked at 20. <laughs> before and after, that contrast. The mat and the feet walking by people along the pool, seeing him. What a testimony. Your story is a testimony. It's not not just for you. It's not just for your overcoming. It's for others to see, look what the Lord has done. Now, Jesus is a master marketer. If you own a product, you invent something, If you you create some kind of magical product, you, you don't go on an infomercial and you don't try to sell that product. You put the product in the hands of others and you have their testimonies to what your product did for them. Your words wouldn't be valid. Jesus said, I don't give you my testimony. If I gave, if you banked on my testimony, it wouldn't be valid. Instead, I have witnesses, those that have tried the product. The best salesman in the world is a satisfied customer, a customer who has been changed, transformed by the product. Your story is important because other people need to see. Look what the Lord has done. You may be wondering, how does all this affect trauma? If I had time, I'd tell you about study after study that those that can make meaning out of their messes, those that can put in narrative form, in the clinical world we call it narrative therapy, can put in narrative form what happened to them. Not just your story, but within the context of his story that the trauma that's located in the subcortex relocates to the prefrontal cortex where that one moment of time isn't larger than life. It's not the period at the end of the sentence. It's just a comma. It's not the end of the book. It's just the middle of the book. It's not just the end of the road. It's just a bend in the road. It is not the final word. He is the author and the finisher of your faith. The pen is in his hands. He's just begun to do what he's going to do in, your life. It is not the end of your story. I pray this morning, if you're here and you're stuck somewhere, I pray that you get unstuck. I pray that a good part of that paralysis is you trying to run from something that he's not telling you to run from. He's telling you to pick it up, own it, face it, look at it. The more you avoid it, the more you empower it. It's like a bully in school. If you refuse to square off with it, it'll continue to control you. But when you say, I'm going to own it, this is my story. When you face it and you realize that as the brother gave the word this morning, that there is safety in the presence of God, that you are safe in his presence presence that you were safe then and you're safe now that you may have went through hell but his hand got you through it I want you to shift focus for a moment stop thinking about all you went through start thinking about the fact that I got through it I should be in a rubber room right now with a helmet on banging my head up against the wall waiting for the nurse to clean the drool off my chin I'm here I got through it. How many can say I got through it? Any survivors in the house? Any overcomers in the house? Have you gotten through some things this morning? You got through it. Stand up with me. Hallelujah. Worship team, can you come forward or instrumentalist, whatever is comfortable for you? Hallelujah. I think you need a second look at your past. It's not so much what you went through. It's more about what's going through you. Not really the experience or the event. It's more how you interpret the experience in the event. How do you see it? It's really important. And how do you say it? Just as important. How do you see it? How do you say it? Your story is yours. Can't change it change your outlook on it. How do you see it? How do you say it? If all you see and all you say is all you've been through, but you can't see and say what God has done. Listen, next week I want to talk about a hopeful future, but we got to get a better look at your past because you will not anticipate a hopeful future if all you keep seeing is a hurtful past. You will not. I'm telling you, you won't. Your expectations are conditioned by your experiences of yesterday. You're expecting what you always got. But if you can look back and say, I'm blessed. I, I am so blessed. He, he had me the whole time. I don't see a trail of blood, I see footprints in the sand. I'll tell you a true story, I'll end with this. Back in the early 1900s, This illiterate janitor, day and age in London where you get fired for being illiterate. Spent his whole childhood with learning disabilities, all the pain that comes with that. He lands a job at a church, cleric doesn't know he's illiterate, hires him to be the janitor. One day finds out, can't read. Fires him. Just one more rejection to add to the list. Well, he has a little bit of money in the bank, takes the meager savings, opens up his bicycle shop. That's his passion, is riding bikes. It does fairly well. Opens a second bike shop. Till he has a chain of bike shops in the 1950s all through London, England. He's sitting with his accountant one day. His accountant says, you did pretty good for an illiterate guy. He's imagine what you'd be in your life if you weren't illiterate. He said, yeah, the janitor at St. Peter's Church. For some of us, we got fired unjustly. All we see is rejection. That man, he saw redirection. For some of us, all we see is abuse. I could talk to you about how your amygdala keeps playing that thing over and over again and you're living in that abuse even though it ended 30 years ago it never ended up here the storm ceased but the disciples were still afraid and Jesus is saying to the word that was given earlier why are you still afraid the name of the Lord is a strong tower Abraham Maslow taught us that our most basic inherent need is for safety we can't function without safety Self-actualization, living out your promise and your potential is at the top of the hierarchy. Baseline, one of the baseline needs is safety. Some of us are not living out our dreams because we just never feel safe. And God is saying, why are you afraid? I've been with you every step of the way. He could have killed you. She could have killed you. It could be over. You could be dancing on a pole in a club somewhere. You could be sticking a needle in your arm on a corner, smoking a pipe behind a dumpster, but you're here in this place, worshiping me, dressed in your right mind. Give him praise if you survived something this morning. It's all how you see it, and it's all how you say it. I'm not telling you to change the facts. I'm just telling you that what happened is not the period. It's just the karma. I'm telling you that what happened is just a little bleep in the screen. It is not as big as your mind has made it. God has more for your life than you could ever imagine. Thank God it's more than we can ask or imagine because some of us are asking for far too little because we've experienced too much heartache and we're imagining far too little. Your asker and your imaginer are broke. Thank God he gives me more than what I can ask or imagine. Don't give me over to what I ask for. Imagine if he gave you what you asked for. Imagine that guy you asked for in high school. Look at him now. He spared you from some things. So how you see it? So how you say it. I want you to just say this with me. Say, Lord, I thank you that you delivered me. I thank you that for not one moment was I forsaken. Through the betrayals, through the abuse, bad relationships, bad experiences in church, you were with me. I am not a victim. I'm an overcomer. I'm here. I'm safe. Why am I afraid? Why art thou so downcast? Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. It's okay to talk to yourself. The Bible says there was a woman, she was trying to get a hold of Jesus, and she she said to herself, if I could touch the hem of his garment, Probably the most important conversation you could have second to your conversation with God is the conversation with yourself. What are you saying to yourself? And she said to herself, if I could just touch his hem, I want you to start talking different to yourself. I will overcome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what David did when he was facing a giant that was before him? He looked behind him. He gleaned strength from his story. He, listen, it's traumatizing to get into a fight with a bear, a lion. That's, we read over that like it's cartoonish. There had to be a lot of trauma associated with that kind of collision. He looks back at that trauma and he says, If I could win there, I can win anywhere. I want you to look back at your past right now. And I want you to say, if I can win there, I can win anywhere. If I can beat those giants back there, I can beat this giant standing right here. Don't forget your story. Your story is the greatest asset you have. But it's all how you see it. It's all how you say it. Pick up your mat. And follow it. God bless.
1: All I did was praise. Let's worship him. All I did was
2: worship. Let's, let's let this soak in today, guys. Was bow down.
1: All I did was stay. Sing that again. All I did was praise. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down. All I did was. as Sp- Sp- Sp-
2: This place today just keep reaching out to him as we just continue singing but just keep reaching out to him god is touching god is touching hearts here that's it just reach out to the lord oh God oh God God you've put together all of the pieces of our lives God Lord you've done something beautiful God with our lives Jesus may we never forget that oh God you are still doing an awesome thing God you've only just begun you've only just begun Jesus oh God we praise you this day God we thank you Jesus May we go forth in joy today, knowing, God, that it's just the beginning, that you have good things in store for us, God. You have good plans, O God. Lord, may we go forth in this world and speak, knowing that there is power in our testimony, not being ashamed of our past, God, but glorifying you, God. Lord, knowing that you have rescued us. Lord, we just thank you, God. In Jesus' name, you can still spend time with the Lord. You can go in peace. Be blessed this week. God is for you.